The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to the Retail Therapy Podcast, proudly brought to you by AWS. Having navigated the worst of the pandemic, businesses are now moving on to tackle the next big global disruptor in climate change. In this season, we're talking to business leaders, academics and climate experts about their personal journeys and fighting for a more sustainable future. We'll also learn more about businesses and how they're meeting their sustainability targets. Joining me today is Jan Acquaintance James, the Chief Sustainability Officer at Global Fashion Group, which oversees the iconic here in Australia and New Zealand and one of our most well-known online retailers. Jana has been working in the sustainability and ethical fashion space for a number of years now. Prior to Global Fashion Group, she worked at David Jones and also as a consultant assisting organisations with the sustainability objectives. I'm delighted to have Jana with me today to chat about sustainability in the fashion industry and the work she's doing at Global Fashion Group. Jana, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with a bit of an insight into your career to date. You've been working in the sustainability and ethical trade space for a number of years now. Can I ask, did this develop as a passion from when you were younger? Yeah, I think I was born this way, Paul. Um, uh, my mum found me uh, trying to stuff a raspberry bun in an envelope um, in, in about 1985, which is for the uh, first Ethiopian famine. So, you know, I was barely at school at that time. And I also have memories as a child looking at rubbish in the street and wondering whether or not the company whose logo was on it was somehow responsible for it being there. So it was kind of an early lean towards corporate accountability. Um, so I've been really lucky to always work in this industry and, and really, uh, I guess, implement my interest in social justice and equity and fairness. So, so you a curious mind and you clearly saw there was a problem here that had to be solved. So uh, sustainability and ethical sourcing are big issues for businesses today. Have you noticed a big shift in consumer attitudes over the years in terms of people being more conscious about where, how and with what materials their clothes are made of? Absolutely. I think certainly in the past 10 years, there's been a sharp increase in recognition and, and engagement um, from consumers. And I think that that's also in the context of the many hats that we might wear as an individual. You know, we are consumers, but we're also employees. We're investors of our, you know, our own funds. And so I think what's both surprising and amazing that's really stepped up in the last couple of years in the context of the COVID pandemic. I think perhaps if this has occurred 10 years ago, you would have seen that sustainability got really deprioritised, but actually it has continued to accelerate. And I think highlighting how, as the COVID pandemic has done, highlighting how fragile our ecosystem is and, and how interconnected we all are has actually created much more momentum and accelerated change, yeah. um, which is really positive. And there's been a, a greater trend, I guess, around consumers shopping with purpose and, you know, making sure that it's a purposeful, and you sort of touched on that in your response there, I, I guess, have you seen that much more the sustainability has now become such a key factor in people, in consumers' um, decision-making when they decide which brands they become loyal to? Absolutely. I think we, uh, you know, at Global Fashion Group, we have uh, introduced sustainable shopping edits across all of our um, markets. So that means that customers in Kazakhstan or Colombia or Sydney can uh, shop sustainably. And of course, that attracts this 
sustainable shopper and one, yes. you know, the person who has that in mind already. But it also makes it much more accessible to all shoppers. You know, in 2021, almost 5 million of our 17 million customers shopped in our sustainable shopping edits. Oh. And it really over provisions from, you know, from a sales perspective relative to the proportion of the stock online uh, that is represented in those. So how does a customer know that they're shopping sustainably when they're shopping on the website? How do they identify a sustainable product? Well, they can filter by a dedicated filter. Um, it's called different things in market in different markets, but for example, in Australia, it's called the Iconic Considered. Right. And that basically highlights products that are better for humans, animals, or the environment. And so they can sort of go to the dedicated filtering system or, or destination page, or they just see on the landing page, um, there's like a photo flag for considered, right. which will indicate, you know, this white shirt considered and this one is not. Or they can see the information on the bottom of the product page. And so someone in my team globally checks the different information of the product and claims that are made by the brand and, and verifies that those are accurate. Um, and then we essentially tag it within our platform uh, as meeting those criteria. Fantastic. And do you think consumers are prepared to pay a little bit more? to make sure that the product is sustainable? Yes, I think I think they are. I think it's uh, a, a complex question and I, I guess I wonder whether they always need to. And what we have been able to demonstrate through our sustainable shopping edits is that there is a lot of amazing product out there that is meeting these criteria, you know, and a lot of brands that are really successfully... Um, and still accessible. Yeah, still creating, exactly, and creating yeah. fashionable product that is commercially viable that also meets the sustainability criteria. And that's really, I guess, the nexus of the sweet spot that we're all trying to achieve. Yeah, and I guess that there was going to come up some point the sustainability won't be discussed because it'll just be a, a part just of doing business, right? It has, <laughs> it has to be, yeah. you know, it has to be the sort of basis of any product being um, produced to be uh, deemed to be sustainable. Absolutely. Just in a, in inherently integrated into the way we do what we do. What role do you see businesses playing in terms of educating the community on what shopping sustainably means? Well, I think that, you know, business is super important in terms of influencing the, the ecosystem. And actually, it comes back to me for supply and to supply and demand. If you think about the sustainable shopping edits that I've uh, mentioned and um, GFG's role as essentially of an aggregator of, of brands, you know, on one hand, we have the opportunity to influence brands, to encourage them to provide more product that meets these criteria and, you know, provide information and uh, and tools around how you do that. And then secondly, we also have the opportunity to influence customers by providing them this information at the point of sale and then create that kind of momentum by showing brands that customers are demanding this product and that it performs well from a commercial perspective, etc. So we have a really important role in terms of influencing both sides of that uh, picture to care and prioritise uh, more sustainable fashion. The stats are still quite alarming, though, when it comes to textile waste. Each Australian consumes an average of 27 kilograms of new clothing per year. And what's so <laughs> terrible to hear, they dispose an average of 23 kilograms to landfills. So that's quite horrific when you look at those numbers. We're the second highest consumer of textiles per person in the world after the United States. States. So it sounds a bit grim, doesn't it? Certainly. I mean, I think uh, I do actually question the. I went down a bit of a rabbit warren uh, yesterday looking into the uh, detail behind that stat. And if nothing else, it's maybe a little bit outdated. So I, I think there's a real uh, highlights the need for improved data in this area. But it does, regardless, highlight a, a significant problem. But I guess. It also points again to how essential the consumer is in right. this picture. We we talk a lot about circularity and obviously the accountability of business, um, and I'm 100% on, on board with that as a, a critical part of success. Yeah. Um, however, we also need the consumer to get on board because it's just, to be a circular. Yes. There's <laughs> there's a circle, um, uh, you know, that involves the consumer. So yes, every single 
uh, we need to think about every single item we buy that comes from a long supply chain. It will have a long future ahead of it. So, um, you know, do we need to buy it? Um, and if so, where did it come from and what is it made of? Will you care for it? Yes. And will you keep it for as long as you can? Uh, you know, essentially make the most of the resources that have been invested uh, in that item. And then when you're done with it, what are you going to do with it? Will you send it somewhere where it can be used um, again? Or if it's not not in the condition to do that, actually, you know, how is that going, item going to be recycled? There's a lot more infrastructure available to us Australia, in Australia now than even a few years ago. So people can inform themselves and, and access much better recycling wow. services. For example, there's an app called Recycle Smart. For $2, you can arrange a uh, pickup of all sorts of different wow. uh, recyclable waste whether that's polystyrene, textiles, soft plastics. Is that available Australia-wide? That's a good question. No, I think it's only available in New South Wales. So it's clearly being trialled and will be sort of rolled out, so yeah. we should look out for that across the country. Absolutely, but we didn't. It, I mean, nothing like that existed even a couple no. of years ago, so no. there's much more available yes. um, that people have to go and find. AWS is committed to building a sustainable business for our customers and the planet to drive collective cross-sector action on the climate crisis. We co-founded the Climate Pledge with Global Optimism on the conviction that businesses are responsible, accountable and able to act on the climate crisis. To find out how AWS can support you to modernise your business to reach your organisation's sustainability goals, head to the link in the show notes. Now, there might be people listening in today that don't really, they're on the sustainability journey, still trying to get their heads around terms and understanding what and definitions. How do you describe the circular economy? What's your definition? That's a good question. The circular economy is uh, essentially where we can, I think it comes back to what I mentioned around that consideration of the resources that we yes. uh, are um, using and you know the end-to-end consideration of what's going to happen to a product and really keeping in, uh, resources in that system um, and, and making the most of them over and over again. Mm. I think what we will see is... So nothing to landfill really in essence. Essentially, yeah. So yeah. essentially or minimising uh, landfill uh, in a big way. So things are reused, recycled, um, and uh, that there's a, a life beyond just the initial use. Absolutely, and that we can make new things from what is already in the system. Right. You know, we will see rising uh, costs of raw material prices and more difficult accessibility of those over time, and so therefore it's going to actually become not just a kind of you know, nice to have for your sustainability program, but actually a business imperative to really more. think about yeah. um, what is already in the system and how can we make the most of that. But the reality is we also need government's uh, also support in terms yes. of driving emphasis on this and, and, you know, supporting the development of infrastructure to deliver, deliver on that. Let's go back to the fashion industry a little. Uh, we discussed a little bit earlier and, we, and, and I guess I'd be really keen to understand whether you think the fashion industry historically has been a bit slow to wake up to its environmental impact. I think most industries have been a bit slow to <laughs> wake up to their environmental impact, if I'm honest. I think, and, and you could also say many people are also um, a bit slow to that. And I guess it's undeniable that every industry and business person and, and governments need to do more at a faster pace because otherwise, we'll, you know, we'll simply become too late and, and the impacts will be um, too intractable, essentially. So I think we can we can regret what we haven't done, but or we could just channel that energy into acting more and faster. Good, good points. And I think I know that the Global Fashion Group has embarked on a number of pursuits to address its environmental impact. Your fulfillment centres across the globe use 100% renewable energy and you have 100% recycled packaging. Tell us a bit more about the work you're doing in the sustainability space and what's to come. 
Well, we, um, I guess, essentially, if we think back to some of what I've said around influencing the fashion ecosystem in our markets, um, uh, that's essentially the one tenet of the strategy. And then the second tenet is, is transforming our own operations. We're focused on three strategic priorities, uh, climate action, circularity and conscious consumption, and fair and ethical sourcing. Um, we've got some new ambitious targets, which we announced next month, actually, in our new strategy, um, including science-based targets, which support the reduction journey, carbon reduction journey. I guess some of our key achievements are, uh, you know, I mentioned the sustainable shopping edits now available in all our markets, all 17 million customers. Um, that's really traditionally underserved markets for sustainable fashion, uh, like I mentioned, so Kazakhstan and Colombia and Malaysia and the Philippines. Yes. Last year, or 10% of our NMV, or essentially sales after returns, um, came from sustainable assortment. But we want to grow that to over 60%. Wow. We are carbon neutral for our own operations and our outbound deliveries. As you mentioned, we have green energy group-wide. And, and here in Sydney, there's solar panels operating on the top of the Iconics uh, warehouse. But in other markets, because it's a bit more complex, um, that might involve purchasing from green energy providers or, or, or using renewable energy certificates. We've got uh, low emissions vehicles operating um, in a number of different markets. Again, that supply chain is both challenging during COVID, but also challenging in our complex markets. Yes. We've got lots of work to do still, um, and you know, especially around reducing our footprint, um, which, like any retail business, is really in our supply chain. And so, transitioning products to be made from less impactful materials is absolutely essential. And engaging with our branded portfolio to get on that agenda is crucial. Much to do, but equally, the iconic and the global fashion group have actually been leaders in many ways in this area. And I guess it's a big change agenda. What have been, do you think, the greatest challenges? for you when you've been embarking on such a major reform in these areas? Well, I think sustainability has a complexity problem. Mm. Um, the, um, because, of the, because of the science, do you think? or Well, yes, but because of the so many complex issues yes. that you deal with. Like if you think of, you know, anything that I would be dealing in within my portfolio on a, on a daily basis, I might be you know, dealing with some challenging human rights issues in a, right. in a factory through to how do you implement composting mm. our fulfillment centre in Colombia, for yes, example, yes. Um, uh, through to, um, you know, how are we going to uh, get lower emissions vehicles in Argentina? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and you're dealing with all of those um, essentially at the same time. And so when you need to bring you know, internal and external stakeholders along on that journey, yes. um, that can be really, really hard and, and sometimes test your resolve. So I think in that context, I, I get why external stakeholders or, you know, for example, NGOs or similar might be frustrated with the um, fashion industries or, or retail industries, you know, slower pace of change yes. as, they, as they perceive it. But, you know, businesses are very uh, complex and there's a lot of complex humans inside them. And uh, I guess what we're doing in sustainability can really go against the grain mm. um, in that context as well, which makes it more challenging. So I think, it's, yeah, it's just around that organisational change um, is um, some of the most complex things that we deal with in sustainability. At the RA, we, sort of, we see climate change being the next big, disruptor and a sustainability being really a competitive advantage. And without giving away your trade secrets, what advice would you give other business leaders who are wanting to improve their sustainability credentials? Honestly, I'm happy to give away my trade secrets. Oh, that's because, great to hear. Um, great to hear. Because I think this is a pre-competitive space. I think it's absolutely fundamental that any business or you know leaders within inside it understand the internal and external drivers for change that might be relevant 
to the, that business particularly and to the people within it. Um, you know, not all people are motivated equally or necessarily by the same thing. So it's about understanding the why for each stakeholder. You know, your CFO is not going to be motivated by the same thing as your CPO, for example. Sure. And speaking of uh, executives, you know, essential to have buy-in from the top. I'm, I'm very lucky to be working um, for two co-CEOs at the group level who are doing this because of, you know, what they need to right tell their to yeah. yeah because what they need to tell their girls when they yeah. go home at night yes um, about the impact of the business on the world and because they recognize as you say that it's this is the future of fashion and lifestyle e-commerce and um it'll be a key differentiator especially in our markets and then ongoing engagement and leadership to drive the agenda i guess making it relevant to everyone in the business i think we can't think of buy-in unfortunately as an end game it's not something that's necessarily just achieved today and you know put that in the bank and you're good to go yes. forward is that actually this kind of ongoing engagement with senior leaders. So and continuous learning and yeah, continuing absolutely. evolving. Yeah. And as, can, as, as the benchmark, I'm a, it was going to continue to go up, isn't it? So we sort of got to go on this path yeah. to, uh, together. Absolutely. How much has even changed in the last five years in, in Australia and the, the, the expectations of business and, and what good looks like? You know, so we need to you know, continually be thinking about how we are incentivizing change within the organization and, and that might you know, come in many different forms or contexts. Last but not least, it's really important and you know, I've been able to achieve the most change when it's been embedded within the strategic priorities of the business um, at the highest level. And I guess for it to be anything but lip service, it has to be there. Yes. Um, because, you know, at the core of business strategy and planning, and, and that's how we will truly integrate it within our organisations and, and ultimately change the world. I've loved chatting with you. Uh, thank you for sharing your invo- insights with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on all the work you're doing at Global Fashion Group. There's lots to be proud of and lots more to do. Thanks for chatting. Thank you for joining me for some retail therapy. With special thanks to our season partner, AWS, who can assist retailers navigating through their own sustainability journey with a wealth of practical resources. For more information, check out the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the ARA, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes.